Welcome to Rants and Reason. I am Chuck. And I am Karen. I am a liberal. And I am a conservative. And I'm a centrist. <laughs> As Abraham Lincoln <laughs> reminds us, we are not enemies. We are friends. We are friends. And today we have a friend with us. Yeah. Solomon wow. Kleinsmith. Solomon is from uniters.org. Yes. Correct? Yep. And he is, we're going to talk to him today. What we've been talking about is how do we find common ground? How do we meet in the middle? And he, he has represents a, the middle. He right. represents the middle. middle. Come exactly. on over. <laughs> um, Solomon, you want to, you can do this better than I can. You want to give us a quick intro, quick bio as to who you are and what you do? What you've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Um, so my name is Solomon Kleinsmith. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm currently living in Kansas City. Pretty much lived in the Midwest most of my life, a little bit in the desert. I lived in Salt Lake City for a little bit and Las Vegas a little bit. Um, I, I work in online marketing, uh, mostly like search engine optimization and web design for small businesses. Um, but uh, you know, I've been sort of in the moderate centrist range for most of all of my adult life, most of my life. Um, since I was a teenager and I've had a hard time like finding a place in the two major parties and I know you guys are kind of in the same place but you know a little mm -hmm. bit farther to the left a little bit farther to the right so you're right. sort of having a hard time with your own side um, I'm you know beyond that um, and you know I bounce back and forth between the parties a little bit trying to find a place before they were so extreme and they started moving farther away and in 2006 was my last straw with the Republicans. I, I found a local candidate I could kind of get behind who was more honest than usual. And he got clobbered by a guy that outspent him. Actually, he's the current um, governor of Nebraska now, Pete Ricketts. He's the son of the TD Ameritrade Ricketts guy. Um, and that was, my, that was my last straw with the GOP. And then in 2008, I actually ran the... Omaha for Obama and Nebraska for Obama and a PAC called Yes We Can Nebraska and a, um, a nonprofit focused on voter registration called, um, oh my gosh, I forgot what it's called. <laughs> this is a long time ago. Uh, I have a shirt that says it on it still. Um, Nebraska Matters, that was what it was called. And um, all of that, like I'm, my experience with both sides, I was more than just a volunteer. I was like a super volunteer. Um, I raised, I don't think I've quite raised a million dollars, but several hundred thousand dollars for candidates and causes and organizations. And um, I put a lot of work into both. And then um, we actually got Obama, Obama one electoral vote out of Nebraska, which is the first electoral vote for a Democrat in Nebraska since Lyndon Baines Johnson. So that was a pretty big deal because we were the yeah. de facto Obama campaign because the Obama campaign was not in Nebraska until right near the end. And um, so you know, I mean, that a lot of the work that we did, if we hadn't have done it, he wouldn't have won that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's something. But I learned a lot from my experience. Um, I learned um, a lot from some people who trained under Karl Rove on the GOP side. I learned a lot from the, the Obama campaign because I went to a lot of their their trainings. And, um, but after helping Obama get into office in 2008, about partway through 2009, it was already pretty clear that 
he wasn't what I thought he was going to be. And so that was the end of it for me for Democrats. And um, a few months later, um, I started a blog. I think it was July of 2010. And but even before that, I, I had this idea for United.org. Oddly enough, just earlier today, I found a, a Google Doc that I'd written um, in February of 2009 talking about this organization I wanted to start. But it was called mm-hmm. UnitedHeartland.org. <laughs> United Heartland. Uh, yeah, and I ended up – it was focused more on the Midwest. But then I guess I expanded my idea. And I know in March 17th, I think, 2009 is when I bought Uniters.org, the, the domain name. And I've just been pecking away at the idea ever since. And I almost launched it in 2010 or 2011, I forget which. And, but it, it, it ran into some problems and uh, I ended up not having enough time to do that and my blog. And then um, all the way, you know, I, I, for some reason, probably just because I'm kind of a, a super nerd internet wise, this is before I worked in online marketing. I was just good at it. Um, I, um, my blog, Rise of the Center, back then, very quickly in the span of a year became one of the most popular centrist blogs. And which is not like that was saying a lot back then, but um, we, uh, I was getting you know freelance gigs. I, I wrote for the NPR station in New York City for a while. Uh, I was getting interviewed on in news stations or radio stations across the country. Um, I got to be a, a freelance reporter at the 2012 national conventions for Democrats and Republicans, and all of those experiences like culminated. I learned an enormous amount. Um, on top of all of that I learned as Republican and Democrat, you know, um, sort of a volunteer grassroots Uber volunteer. But I really burned out after seeing the the sort of the daunting size of the Democratic and Republican like machines. Mm-hmm. And I burned out really bad and I didn't do almost anything political from uh, early 2013 till uh, January 2017. Wow. So you are really, I, and we have looked at your website and, and talked to you quite a bit. And you're a centrist, self-described centrist. Yep. Um, right now, there is not really a, an official centrist party, correct? Uh, not nationally. Um, there's a few state-level parties, um, and there's a few national parties that are that aren't really parties, <laughs> although they're starting to be. Um, Anyway, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few that uh, I believe eventually will coalesce into a national party, but right now there's no official one. What? How would you describe centrist centrism to other people? I don't usually. I mean, I'm a bit of a stickler. We've talked about this uh, mm-hmm. of verbiage. I don't okay. use the word centrism very okay. much because it's a little bit of a misnomer. It gives Until, the impression mm-hmm. that there is an ideology. Okay, and, so tell people um, what you would want how you would want that termed and why. Yeah. I mean, I would just say, you know, centrist beliefs and what does, what does, what does a centrist think? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, just pick a, pick an issue like healthcare, uh, which I I think is, you know, pretty a good example of where the distinction is. Um, Most on the left now um, want single pair and most on the right want, you know, some less of what we have now. Um, and that obviously is different as you go across the scale. It's not like a, it's not a trinary or a binary. Um, 
But most in the center in polling want something like the public option where you can, if you choose to buy into a government plan, but you can also, if you choose to purchase uh, private insurance and there's no mandate. Um, a lot of people have a problem with the mandate. I'm, I'm one of them. And um, so, I mean, it really just pick any kind of issue. Some issues, you know, we lean a little bit right on, um, centrist on the whole. Some issues we lean a little bit left on, like like social issues mostly. Um, and I'm not 100% centrist on everything, just like, you know, even Bernie Sanders is not 100% leftist. Um, so what everything I've read, and if I centrist is a good name, but tell me if I'm wrong here. Well, it's just a it's, label. It's not really yeah. a name. Yeah. But it's almost, to me, a, a party of pragmatism, kind of more problem-solving, approaching an issue and trying to solve the problem. It's not really – of course, it's about moderation to some degree, but it's really more about problem-solving, would you say? I, I like that that is the stereotype because, <laughs> okay. I mean, if you're going to have a stereotype, that's a pretty good one. Um, but no, I mean, you can be a completely unreasonable person and be a centrist. Um, the, what makes you a centrist is that your views um, land you in the center range of the political spectrum of the country you're in. Um, and believe me, I, I know some extremely unreasonable centrists. <laughs> um, but and, and just because they're unreasonable, that doesn't make them any less of a centrist than mm -hmm. a reasonable person. And, and also, I think it's really important because if, if we're not going to have the same sort of echo chambers that the left and the right have – and, you know, in other, in other segments, then we need to be more honest about who we are and, you know, what really makes a centrist a centrist, among other things. Like, that's just one thing. Um, and we need to be sure to, to not, you know, buy into positive stereotypes that aren't true and, and cut out people who are centrist who just aren't centrist in the way that we are, you know, our sort of centrist fairy tales would like them to be. Um, so... Like, I don't know if uh, trying to, if if, a, if somebody who is 90 percent centrist is for single pair or 90 percent centrist, but is against any sort of government involvement in healthcare, I mean, that person's still a centrist. Um, they're just they're just not on that issue and kind of like Bernie Sanders and guns like he's not a leftist on guns. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I usually. Uh, try to shy away from centrism. And even when I'm talking about, you know, the center, I try to use the term big tent centrist or centrist big tent. Um, okay. That's one of my inventions. <laughs> um, but it, it gives the right impression because it's not just, you know, exact centrist. Centrist isn't a point on the spectrum. It's a, it's it's a the range spectrum. on the spectrum. Or the spectrum, right. Yeah. yeah and I, I try to say it's it's like everybody who's within arm's reach of Clara McCaskill on the left, you know, center left, and then everybody within arm's reach of Susan Collins on the center right, and everybody in between. And okay. that's that's like 30, 40% of the populace. Mm -hmm. So it's not small. It's it's a much bigger tent than um, the Democrats or Republicans right now. They used to be bigger tents, but now they're much smaller. So I'm hearing people who are wanting third-party solutions refer to themselves in different ways. You hear people say that they're independents and you yep. hear people who say they're libertarians, which libertarian is so far on the right, but people look at libertarian sort of. as, as independent and and then centrist. So how are each how is each one different? 
So independent isn't really a, a thing. It's a non-thing. Okay. <laughs> All that independent means is that you're not a member of a party. Okay. And again, kind of like centrist, um, people try to use it to mean different things. Mm-hmm. And some people really, I mean, this, this really bothers me um, when like Democrats and Republicans um, try to say they're an independent Democrat or independent Republican. And really all that is, is like, I work in marketing. That's total deceptive marketing. And um, they're, they're trying to basically pull in the sort of feeling of, a, of an independent mm-hmm. without actually being an independent and still being, you know, beholden to the party. Okay. And I, that really bothers me. Um, but, yeah, so that's all it means to be an independent. It doesn't really mean anything uh, specific. It just means right. you're not a member of a party. Um, libertarian, uh, you asked this question earlier in, in the email thing. But um, the difference between libertarian and centrist is vast. Right. <laughs> um, so if, if you're talking about your average libertarian, um, they're, they're farther from centrist than your average conservative or liberal. Right. Um, because libertarianism is rather extreme in a lot of mm-hmm. in, in a ways that are very distant from centrists especially from uh, on economics and taxes and size of government. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just look at like Social Security and Medicare. Okay. Um, you know, centrists don't want them to be expanded to the extent that, that liberals and progressives do, mm-hmm. but they generally do want them to either be stabilized or expanded a little bit, um, while libertarians would slash them drastically or get rid of them altogether. And um, so, I mean, that's just completely different. Um, there is some overlap in things like gay rights, but even there, libertarians do it differently. Like, this is actually one thing that I agree with libertarians on to a degree. If given a magic wand, this is how I would do gay marriage, where, um, you know, marriage would be replaced by a contract that is one, you know, consenting adult and one consenting adult, and that's it. Uh-huh. And, um, but most people um, are for just gay marriage. You know, you call it marriage, you leave it how it is, and it's it's again one consenting adult and one consenting adult, uh, but you call it marriage. Um, libertarians, being libertarians, they basically want to like pull out of any cultural anything as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, but then you know, just just like anything else, um, there's groups in between that far out you know standard libertarian uh, stance. And right. they're generally called classical liberals now. Mm-hmm. Um, and classical we'll liberals are, a pr- yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big and growing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a little weird. And I, I know a lot about it because, one, in college, I would have been called a classical liberal. I, mm-hmm. I was on the libertarian sort of spectrum, but I wasn't a full on, like, I didn't think the government should just be police and roads <laughs> um, and military. But, um, so, I mean, I, I totally understand where the, the classical liberals are coming from. I just don't agree with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, their classical liberals are approximately as far away from centrist as, as a Democrat or a Republican would be an average one, not like the not Bernie Sanders. And um, so, I mean, they're, they do want smaller government, but they don't want to slash it like libertarians do. Um, and then, you know, there's there's even a moderate version of that, there's a website called the Niskanen Center, um, 
I forget what the guy's name is that it's named after his first name, but he was a founder of the Cato Institute, I think. There's some okay. people on there that are, I would call them moderate classical liberals who I think would fit into the um, centrist big tent. And um, at least in some ways, I haven't looked at them like that closely. But um, I mean, the spectrum is, is more complicated than people want it to want it to want it to right. be. And on top of that, this is something that doesn't get any any coverage, basically, in the, in mm. the um, political news. But like over half of the American people are really not ideological. Like they're vaguely left, right, libertarian or whatever. But if they see somebody that they kind of like in their gut, they'll vote for somebody completely different. Um, which is how you got people that voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary and then voted for Donald Trump in the, in the uh, general election. That makes right, no this, sense. Right. The same person. Right. Yeah. Unless you understand that people don't vote on policy all the time. They vote for other personality. Reasons. Personality. Well, I, God. I think that's yeah, what we saw know, in um, Pennsylvania with Connor Lamb where you had that. Yeah, overlap. I think that's part I mean, of it. Yeah. You know, he was he was just a likable guy. When you look at the other guy, he wasn't really all that likable. But yeah, I mean, um, that's got to be in, in just about any race. That's a few points. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was just, somebody I mean, that people like, could identify with that. Yeah. That you, you know, you, you, you look at a guy and it, yeah, I don't, I don't believe people are that, especially in local races. I don't think they're that beholden to party. Um, a party. Mm-hmm. Some now, of them are be, in some local races. They're completely owned by the party um, because like. I, I almost ran for state senate in Nebraska. Um, I ended, I would have won too. I would have destroyed the guy, but I ended up not being able to because I hadn't lived in the in the district like one month, not long enough. And um, but the what I found out was in this district that I was in, basically the Democratic Party decided who was going to be the the winner. Um, it would have been really hard for me to win, but I had a lot of connections in the area, so I think I would have been able to figure out how to win. But um, it was a you know one of those like seventy percent um, uh, Democrat versus Republican, and then a bunch of independents. Mm-hmm. And um, so, because the race was so small in a you know a, a unicameral race in Nebraska, right. ten thousand dollars thrown at a candidate, whoever that was, was just probably going to win and um so whoever the party decided you know gets it and in a lot of smaller uh, races like that you know an upstart candidate would really have to know what they're doing would really have to be able to raise money without party help which is extremely hard to do for most people um or self-fund and really just know how to campaign and that's almost nobody um so that's a i mean that actually is a big reason why independents lose all the time, 99.9% of the time, because they just, there's no party to help them campaign. There's no party to help them find staff. There's no party to help them raise money. There's no party to help them get all the lists. There's no structure. There's no nothing. Mm -hmm. And every campaign starts from scratch, which means they start 50 yards behind um, a a campaign that has more money, staff, support, and, you know, built-in voters. Now, do you see states right now with built-in infrastructures for the centrist party? Not really. Um, Sort of. It's starting to happen. Um, So in Minnesota, there's the Independence Party of Minnesota, which is really the only surviving uh, part of the Reform Party from, you know, 92 
Um, oh, well, the Reform Party actually formed later than 92, but that's when it started. Um, but um, technically, the Reform Party still exists, but they're an, an echo of an echo. Um, there's the modern Whig Party. They have a few state-level um, chapters that are sort of starting to coalesce, and, and they're running candidates, but none of them are winning. Uh, I think one ran one in like a city council race. Um, there's the Independence Party of Minnesota. They they've actually had some success over the years. They had you know Governor Governor Ventura before yeah, he kind of like absolutely went kooky. Yeah, um, he was actually a pretty darn good like governor, oddly enough. Um, they had uh, Dean Dean Barkley, I think his name was. They had a congressman there for a little bit, and um, they've had a bunch of like down ballot people. Um, they're starting to organize better. I'm actually building them a brand new website, and um, they're doing pretty good. I think I, I'm I'm helping one of their congressional campaigns out. He's an underdog candidate, but I, I think that he has a future. Um, then there's the Independence Party, Independent Party of Oregon. Um, they've they've ran some people, and I think they've got a shot to get some maybe people in a state ledger or something like that this year. Um, there's the uh, American Party of South Carolina. They're running some down ballot races this year that might have a shot. There's the um, Moderate Party of Rhode Island. They're they've got a um, a chairman who's who committed one hundred thousand dollars of his own money to run or find a better candidate. And I've oh, talked wow. to him a little bit. Yeah, I know. And I, I talked to him and he's he's been interviewed and he this is somebody who actually knows what he's talking about. So that's exciting. Interesting. Yeah, it is. And, and then there's also here in I'm in Missouri, but about a mile and a half away from the Kansas border. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this guy. I forget his name off the top of my head, but he just uh, started the um, uh, party of the center in Kansas. And he. Uh, having talked to him and looked at it, some of his material, like he's producing professional material and he seems to be putting, I don't know where he's getting money from, either self-funded or um, getting some donations. He um, is producing like professional ideas. And that's one of the things that you can kind of tell if a campaign is serious or not is if, you know, their website looks like somebody, something the seventh graders slapped together on Dreamweaver or if it actually looks like a professional website and the print material is designed well and all the stuff that you see from a serious operation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm seeing more of that right now from individual independent candidates um, running serious campaigns to political parties that have been around for a little while or started recently that are actually acting like a genuine party, not just a hobby that somebody is doing because they're pissed off against the Democrats and Republicans. Do you see um, the all, biggest problem being money and when you're creating a infrastructure mm-hmm. and a state? I mean, there obviously, really... Go ahead. no, obviously that's one of the things centrists um, really don't like, you know, they, they want campaign finance reform. And when you're going up against that kind of money, I mean, you're going to need that kind of money, but you can get that, you know, on a grassroots level. But do you see that as possibly the biggest obstacle? Or what do you Um, see as the biggest obstacle? It's hard to parse money and organization apart from each other because the money is used to build organization. Um, I mean, we we all see the the advertisements, but – really the biggest place that you spend money on in party building 
is staff and just all the stuff that you do to collect and connect with and build a relationship with your 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 followers your members um, and money is necessary because you you want this is something that a lot of independents they it's not only that they don't get a lot of them refuse to get it like on purpose they they you know reject the idea that you can't you can't beat these massive party machines with you know pocket lint and some shoe leather <laughs> it's ridiculous it makes no sense like they're true um, believers in you know mr smith goes to washington kind of thing <laughs> but it's you know, a little bit yeah, yeah that, that's idealistic. actually a good point but even him i mean he he got sent to washington right yeah <laughs> and um through a fluke i love that movie <laughs> but the um the uh the idea that you know uh let me pull this back a little bit so that whole like pocket lint and some shoe leather if you personally know how to build a website and you're serious about it and you read a few books on how to run a local campaign you can win maybe state legislature or lower by just working your tail off treating it like a full-time job for six months you can win that way you really can but um it's hard it's really really hard and you have to make all the right decisions get lucky because you know a few thousand dollars spent semi-intelligently um, for a democrat or a republican will get you enough votes to win um, to beat that with no money it, you just need to be really perfectly smart um, or get really lucky and have the other person have like a scandal or something. So um, here's something that I noticed in what you were saying when you were talking about the the states that are moving, kind of opening the doors to some independent candidates. Um, right. Each one, each party had a different name. Do you think that there's yeah. an issue with that, that messaging is really, really confusing to people? No, because I think most of the states aren't even aware of the other uh, that most people in the other states aren't even aware of the the parties in the other ones. So how do we um, how do people who consider themselves to have center um, beliefs how do they coalesce into a party if it's all under different names and different guises? How do they how do they get, come together as one party and have a little bit more power? Well, you mean nationally? Mm-hmm. So. That's actually something that I've talked to some of the party officers about, and they've talked to each other about. Um, the The answer is, I, I don't think it's a it's a something that needs to be answered right now. I think over the next two or three election cycles, we need to be focused on getting more states that have centrist parties, and then getting the centrist parties in those states to build up, um, because there's really no point in having a national thing if there's only like three or four parties in the states that are accomplishing anything. So all um, the different parties that have the different names, they would all be considered centrist parties, even though they all have separate names and they all might be a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, the name doesn't matter. Because, because I mean, they're the on Democrats the spectrum. the Democrats don't call themselves the left party. They call the themselves middle. Democrats. Right, but it's still one name that everybody recognizes. Yeah. So but that's I mean, it doesn't matter because, again, like – I guarantee you that 99% of centrists in, in Kansas have no clue that there's a party in Minnesota called the Independence Party of Minnesota. Right. Okay. But to, to answer the question um, as far as like 
you know, when we get to that point. So mm -hmm. let's say, let's say five years from now, um, we, we get past the 2020, what would that be? The 20, uh, 22 elections or whatever. Um, and we have, let's say, let's say there's seven or let's say there's eight, you know, or nine state level centrist parties that are still small, but growing and maybe one or two that are bigger. Um, the one in Oregon and Minnesota are probably the bigger ones. Um, so the, uh, the general idea, um, and this is again, not my idea. This is just, you know, uh, what other people have already talked about, what I've heard from them and whatever in conversations is, you know, we convene some sort of national gathering mm -hmm. and, uh, this is my twist on it, but generally the idea would be you come to the meeting and your entrance fee is, uh, if I end up agreeing to this, then I accept that the group is going to decide the name. Everybody's, you know, uh, member lists are all going to be thrown into a big pot and everybody is now part of this new party that whose name will be decided by the, you know, the, the, the members there. And personally, it, because I know how to do this and I think this would be smart and, and just democratic would be, um, you know, at the very end, once like the, the broad strokes have been figured out uh, or the details have been figured out, we're going to leave some broad stroke stuff to the general membership. So let's say, you know, after a week long meeting, um, they, they break it down to like three names that, uh, you know, the members there think are the best three names. And then every single member of all of those parties across the nation get 24 hours to vote on which name is picked. And then a handful of other things like the broad strokes of the first platform, um, you know, top 10 issues and where the stand is and all this other stuff. Um, I think that, I mean, I think that's a great idea. And so again, that's like I, I a convention this, though to a certain a little bit, but. degree, right? I mean, isn't that very similar to a convention, a party convention oh. or no? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, right. it's, yeah. It's, the, it's like the founding convention. It'd be sort of mm -hmm. like I was going to call it like the Articles of Confederation because that's basically what it is. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's a loose formation of a new party um, built from these desperate uh, you know, smaller parties across the country. I'm going to ask you a question real quick that one of our <clears throat> one of our listeners, one of our people on our fa Facebook page asked. Um mm -hmm. And this happens to moderates all the time. Um, sure. What is your response to those who accuse centrists of being wafflers, uh, who seem unable to take a strong stand on an issue, and those who accuse centrists of being the cause of more problems because of compromising? Uh, so those are those are two questions. The first yeah, one right, is just right. is, is just false. Um, you know, centrists are no more or less uh, wafflers than anybody else inherently. There are plenty. Of, there's no shortage of waffling, waffling, you know, progressives and, oh, on both sides, and yeah. conservatives. And there's no shortage of it's, you would find it very hard to find someone as, you know, non waffling as me anywhere on the spectrum. Um, you know, but I but I'm a hardcore political kind of a bulldog. So um, like that's you can find people like that all over the spectrum, really. What's missing in the center is a, you know, a, a, a flag to rally around. And the, the thing that makes that question particularly stupid, really, and, and it really is stupid, is that, that if you look at people with pretty much the exact same views as we have here, and you go to a different country in Europe or, 
or really just anywhere in the in the country, um, you will find that the exact same people here are on the right or the left somewhere else, and you'll have the exact same stereotypes. The centrist there who would be on the left or the right here is seen as a waffler, and it's just it's just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Um, right. The question really isn't no... stupid. The the fact that people see people as wafflers just because no, they're the, the center is stupid. stupid. It's, a, it's a good question. It's, right. it's, it's, the per, it's a false perception that makes no sense. Right. The false perception is stupid. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, um, there are, I, I actually disagree with the sentiment. I think there are stupid questions. Just that's not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was the other question? I forget. The other question came from a, uh, another listener. Right. What do you think is the best thing about the Republicans right now? What do you think is the best thing about the Democrats right now? No, there was a second question. Oh, I'm sorry. The second part of that. I didn't want to miss that. Okay. Those those who accuse centrists of being the cause of more problems because of compromising. That's really mostly um, people not wanting to accept their own failures. Like the Democrats lost because what the Democrats didn't earn enough votes. It's not anybody else's fault. In a democracy, you earn enough votes or you lose. Your, if you lose, that's your fault, not the voters. The voters' job are to, to vote on their conscience. That's their job. The, vote, the job of parties and campaigns is to earn the votes. And if you don't, that's your fault. That's, that's a pretty simple question, actually. Okay, then let me jump to the next one um, yeah. that, they, that was put on the Facebook page. Right now, the Republican Party, what do you feel is the best thing about the Republican Party? And what do you feel is the best thing about the Democrats? That is a good question. The, the, the GOP is interesting because I think the best thing that's happening right now with the GOP is that it's, it's got a, sort of an internal civil war thing going on. Um, and I think that eventually that's going to end up being a good thing. Right. Revolution um, always brings about change. And usually that change ends up being good. But right now the – Revolution. I, I, I would quibble a little bit on the revolution thing. A revolution usually turns out bad. But um, I don't think that's what you meant. The, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the turmoil inside the GOP tent right now is, is bad, like really bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's good because it's necessary. Like mm-hmm. eventually you get to a point with an organization with sort of rot inside of it where really the only thing is either death or, you know, I don't know, serious surgery. And right. that's where they are right now. I mean, they need chemo. They need surgery. There's a cancer in the party that needs to be, you know, taken out. And um, I think that's starting to happen. Um, it's been a long time where moderates have been pushed out of the party. Almost all, I don't know about almost all, like the, the vast majority of moderates are no longer Republican. They're independents. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to the point now where the party is going so far right and is getting so ineffective that regular conservatives are leaving. Like Evan McMullen, he's not a moderate. He's moderate like personality-wise. Right. But on policy, he's a conservative right. like down the line. It's yeah. not a right-wing flaming ass right, of a conservative. Right. He was – I would try to vote for Evan McMullen actually, you know, because I do yeah. lean conservative. And yeah. Florida arranged for that to not be an option. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, he, he got steamrolled in a few places. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, was unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. It was. 
was. He but... just just to be clear, like um, this is something that I hear a lot from people. They hear me say that someone isn't a centrist and that they think that I'm attacking them. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I actually have respect for Evan McMullen of what he's doing and mm -hmm. whatever. I just don't agree with him on policy. Right. I, I feel like if he ended up taking over, you know, if that faction, um, you know, McMullen and, and Flake and, and Kasich, they're all conservatives. They're just not right wing conservatives and they're semi reasonable people. Although, you know, uh, Chuck, you were telling me about some stuff about Kasich. I didn't know that makes me think he's maybe not as reasonable as he is, but as I thought he was. But um, like that wing of the party is what the Republican Party used to be and what the Republican Party could be again right. if it falls apart and then rebuilds. Mm -hmm. um, that they're not centrist, but they're the kind of people on the right that we could work with when we find common ground right. and not completely hate, hate, you know, spew at each other in between when we're disagreeing. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of that in the left too. It, it's just, you know, the, the, the Democrats aren't as far from center as the Republicans are, um, but they're kind of moving in that direction. What do you think is the best thing about the Democrats right now? Um, the liberals. I would say that they're starting to, elements of the left are starting to get serious about certain forms of election reform. And uh, this is actually one of the areas, I ha it's, it's so bizarre because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of commonality with progressives, not on a wide range of policy, but on reform issues, um, on things like election reform. Most of them are, you know, most of the left are um, against like gerrymandering, even though most of the Democratic Party establishment is for it in states where Democrats are in control. Um, but you know, election reform um, and the progressives in the center have a lot in common. The most successful independent um, on on a big stage candidate I can recall is Ross Perot. Right, he got Ross what? Perot and John Anderson. Yeah. John Anderson. Perot ended up getting nine, what nineteen percent of the vote. I don't remember off the top general of my head. vote around twenty I mean, percent. Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, that'd be pretty. That would be pretty staggering today, don't you think? Right, pretty significant. I'm not really even concerned about the presidency. Um, it, it's right. You're looking at it down unless like some. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, unless some Perot type billionaire comes along and drops a billion dollars on, you know, building a national infrastructure overnight, there's really no point in running a president right now. No, um, but it, I think it shows that if you go back at that time, there wasn't such a great divide, you know, in yeah. the Perot era. There That's wasn't right. such a yeah. great divide, but he still got 19% of the vote because people were unhappy with both parties. Right. So, so I, that, that's actually like kind of my point. I'm, I'm really right. happy you brought that up because I, I, I say that all the time. If we had somebody even as flawed as Perot, because Perot is a pretty flawed candidate. Um, but, oh, absolutely. He was also kind of weird. And, you know, but, <laughs> but his his platform, I have his book. Actually, it's like within arm's reach. His platform was surprisingly like forward thinking. Um, you know, he was um, very kind of progressive on sort of GLBT stuff, like gay gay rights. Um, he was forward thinking on like trade and just a, just a, a lot of stuff. And he was kind of like center right, but um, sort of. And in some ways he was center left. So he was really ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. 
but he was also very strangely backward in like using these uh what were those cards that he would do? You know, those <laughs> yeah, big yeah. giant cards he would do? And he, 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 he loved to have charts and he loved to have... Pie yeah. charts. Pie charts. So, you know, it. but still, just with a little common sense and like talking like a regular person and not <laughs> seeming like a, a piece of plastic like, like Al Gore or whatever. Um, I mean, he did amazingly well. So imagine a candidate that flawed with maybe some little idiosyncrasies in... A race now where the space between the parties is twice as big as it was back then. And, you know, the debt is way worse than it was back then. Everything that, you know, led to Ross Perot doing so well back then is huge comparison. I mean, he might have a shot. Right. Again, like without a party, you need to throw a few hundred million dollars at it or you have no shot at all. Um, Not that you shouldn't do it. I think the the biggest problem with, with Perot was that... He didn't let the Reform Party grow past him. There was a point in 96. And this is actually like the first election when I started paying attention, really, because I was 16. And um, there was this guy named Richard Lamb, and he was going to win the the Reform Party nomination if Ross Perot didn't decide to take it. And it seemed like that was going to happen. And then Ross Perot came in and took the nomination and basically spiked the party. The party was toast. Um, it was it was so weakened at that point because all the people that thought the party was a real party realized that it was, uh, or at least a, enough of them realized that it was sort of Ross Perot's plaything, and um, the party sort of fell apart uh, or severely weakened. And then um, Patrick Buchanan came in and then literally spiked the party uh, on purpose yeah. because he he used it for his own purposes. He knew nothing was going to happen, and then uh, on the way out he bankrupted the party. And the party's been stuck in effective bankruptcy ever since. And um, I really like the name. We were talking about the name before. Personally, if if, all these parties came together, I would vote for the Reform Party to be the name, if the Reform Party was part of the group. Um, I think it's the best name, but uh, there's other good names too. But people are looking for, I think they're looking for reform. I think they think that everything's broken. A good name, yeah. Yeah. Now you're. I've been on your website, obviously, so I have. Um, One would hope. <laughs> heads up, um, but a, a good deal of your website kind of you know goes into the issues, goes into you know your own your own personal views, but right, it's really geared toward getting people involved, getting people it's, kind of involved in this. Right. So really, the the goal of Uniters.org, and which is why I call my title at Uniters.org lead catalyst, is the whole thing is designed around the idea of being a catalyst. Literally every part of the organization is designed to, to um, anything that we build, we use um, to help. So it's really just there. <laughs> I haven't released this yet, but probably this week. Um, there's two actions that the organization takes. Every action that we take is either one of these things or both. It's either grow or help, or ideally help to grow. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, so if you go to our Twitter um, account, which is where most of our social following is, we're almost at 21,000 on Twitter, is um, most of it is sharing other people's um, content. And that's even when we get our blog churning again, like we used to back in the day, um, 
it's still going to be mostly other people's content, not just driving traffic to our website. And when I say grow to help, when we use other people's content to, to push out stuff on social media, that helps us grow a little bit because, you know, uh, you know, a, a tweet shared by the right people. <laughs> we actually got shared by Howard Dean today. That was weird. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and we got some follows. I mean, some of those people are going to be liberal Democrats that aren't going to like what they followed. But, um, like, every time we get a share that goes a little viral, we get a bunch of new followers. And uh, I also spend a little bit of money on uh, on followers, like ads that show up in the sidebar of Twitter that some people can click on to, to follow. There's no – I don't buy followers. That's That doesn't work and it's not effective. But um, – you know, uh, so that's sort of an ideal situation where we take content that both helps campaigns or organizations that we support, but at the same time helps us grow a little bit so we can help more. And um, pretty much everything. The blog is for that because campaigns and organizations can come on our site and, and blog. Um, we'll also be writing about those campaigns and organizations on our blog. And then when we publish something on our blog, it'll be shared on social media, which will help us grow and drive traffic to other people. Um, literally everything on our, in our organization. And I, I've been pecking away at this plan for seven years. So everything, when I say everything, it's obsessively, like almost every little tiny thing in the organizational plan is designed to be a catalyst So for, if for building a centrist um, grassroots I, I shy away from movement, but I want to help a movement happen. But in the meantime, we're going to build a centrist national network um, at the grassroots level. Okay. If people consider themselves to have um, beliefs that are in the center, mm -hmm. how do they get plugged into that network? What do they need to do to get involved to, to make a difference at the local level? What do they do? Uh, well, this is one of the, that's a really great question. Uh, and I have a very thorough answer that I'll try not to go too deep into the weeds with. Um, the, the quickest answer is when you tell me this, I will, I'll, I'll talk to you just like a, a regular conversations. Like what, is there a particular way you want to get active? Do you want to help start a local chapter in your area? Um, do you want to help on social media? Do you want to blog? Do you have technical skills you'd like to help with? Do you want to help with graphic design? You, do you want to help with video? Um, you know, really, there, I have these nine teams that people will be able to join, each of which is designed to, like I was saying, be a catalyst using those particular skills. Okay. Um, everything from just regular on the ground traditional grassroots organizing, which by by the way is still by far the most effective political thing is person to person, you know, a human being to human being organizing. Right. By far more powerful than any social media thing. Um, we do start with, you know, the, the focus for the next year probably is going to be mostly on the online thing because that's where you can get the most return on investment for a dollar. And with, with very few people and a small budget, um, sort of building the national skeleton is going to be the, the, the focus for the next while. But when we come across people who are interested in building local chapters, I can tell them the basics of how to do that. And it's really super simple. Like 
we're going to set up a meetup group for you. We're going to set up a Facebook group for you, and we're going to promote those groups. And then you, your job on, on the ground is to knock on doors, uh, make phone calls, uh, one or the other, either one of those. To connect to with people, other. to connect. Yeah. Um, and leave, you know, leave little notes and doors in your neighborhoods. We're going to give you, and we will provide you with the lists, the, the numbers to call if you're, if you're calling numbers, the addresses to knock on and leave pamphlets in the, um, in their door or, uh, and find, you know, events to go to and set up a booth and just start building a list because we, if we're going to be able to help, we need to grow. And so your job, um, during campaign season is to use what we've built to help local candidates, to help local causes or whatever, you know, align with what we're doing and what we believe. Um, and then when you're not in the middle of a campaign um, or don't have something to do with that campaign, your job is to grow, which means knock on doors, leave flyers, make phone calls, just regular old fashioned grassroots organizing. So if people are finding themselves without a political home anymore and they're finding themselves more in the center than they were before, they need to understand that this is not moving from one party to another. This would be building something from the ground up and it would take time, a lot of time and a lot of blood, sweat and tears for not a lot of return at first. Right. People need to understand that if they get involved. Yeah, well, I mean, depends what you mean by return, because if you spend a few hours knocking on doors, you're going to meet like with the list I give you because it's going to be a targeted list. Um, the you're going to meet some people that are going to want to either be supporters or donors or join. You're going to for sure. Um, but, you know, if what you're expecting is to in the span of one election cycle go from nothing to a organization that will be able to challenge the two major parties no that's not going to happen right and people it's, need to understand that this because is we have a yeah, society I, I try to tell people fix. this right. is a 20 year effort right like okay. me personally i'm devoting the rest of my adult life to this <laughs> and i i plan i don't know if you heard about this but i heard a rumor and i don't know if this is true or not but i heard that christopher hitchens was like typing at a laptop from his deathbed that me, wouldn't surprise me and no, talking he was and probably he, he, still he talking he was no centrist that guy right right <laughs> but i mean i i i like his je ne sais quoi i mean he, he had a an attitude that i appreciated and um i feel like that's going to be me like you're going to hook me up to a machine and i'm going to be like a brain floating in liquid <laughs> i'm going to be blogging until i'm 500 years old and um but i know most people aren't like that they, they want to see progress and so I, I try to tell them it's like you know this is a multi-decade process um i do think that there's a chance that within 10 years if things go amazingly right or they go really wrong for the two major parties and something big changes and people flow into the center um, or we get another ross pro type guy that spends a billion dollars on building a national party um, there are things that can speed it up, but more than likely, this is if you look back in history and see how the you know Democratic and Republican parties came about, it was not a fast process. It took time, and it's going to take time for us too. Right. Um, but you will see progress immediately if you put in time. If you put in ten hours, 
you're going to see real progress. You're going to make that list that started with zero people besides you have 20 people on it. Do you think that what's happening within the GOP, the fracturing within the GOP, is one of those catalysts to bring a large flow of people to the center? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the center right, there are, there are more people who lean right, you know, mm-hmm. who are centrist moderate, um, that are independents than there are left leaners right now. Although most, you know, still most of the left leaners are either soft Democrats or independents. And... Um, so that is definitely true. I mean, you okay. can even see this in the in the polling data where the the population of independents leans right mm-hmm. because right. and that's because more Republicans have left the party. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, that brings me to one more question that I, I meant to ask earlier. Um, what so if people consider themselves moderate, are they really in the center and they just don't? They're calling themselves is. It, being a moderate and being a centrist basically the same thing? Usually. Um, okay. I mean, you can you can think you're a moderate and not be. <laughs> um, but usually when, if you think you are, you probably are. Okay. Um, but, but here, there's a, I think there's a, a an important point to be made here. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a particular group of people. Um, it's not like this doesn't happen on the left. There's some of this on the left. But uh, especially progressives trying to pretend that liberals are centrist. That's I mean, it's insipid and it's dishonest and it's stupid. But um, most liberals are aware of that. They're that they're on the left. They're just not on the far left like progressives are. Um, But there's a a large group of people sort of right and a little bit libertarian ish who either pretend that they're centrist and know they're not, but say it anyway. Uh, or a smaller group think they're centrist, but they aren't. And um, it's different problems, um, a whole bunch of different like sources of the problem. But this is a big, this is a big thing, um, and it's going to take a lot of work for us and other groups that are I'm trying to you know sort of build an alliance with to to solve this particular problem or at least undercut it somehow. Um, and it's a, a lot of it is trolls and they're, they're trying to be taken more seriously. So they pretend that they're a moderate so they can be seen as more, you know, mainstream. Explain and, what you mean by that um, for people who aren't really familiar with what that means. With what trolls are? Mm-hmm. Or? Right. In a political sense. Yeah. What, what do you what do you mean by that? People trying to cause chaos um, and or just I mean. I mean, this is politics. There's no shortage of dishonest people in politics. And so um, they'll kind of like what I was saying before about independent Democrats. You literally can't be an independent Democrat. It's 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 by definition. It's like it's like you're a uh, um, warm snow. Right. (laughs) It's no such thing. There's no warm ice. (laughs) Right. And um, so, I mean, there's all sorts of examples. It's hard to pick one. <laughs> there's there's the stereotype of the the Pepe, the, you know, the little frog character. Um, I'm so sick of those people that on Twitter or Facebook or anything, if, if somebody has a Pepe avatar, I just block them immediately. Right. Um, and there's, you know, there's some groups on the left, too, um, that I do that with as well. But they're the worst. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, and then there's the, you know, like classical liberal. A lot of them think they're centrist, but they're not. And even, even more strangely, a lot of them call themselves the real liberals, but they're not. They know that, that when people say liberal, they mean, you know, the sort of mainstream left. And again, that's dishonest. And it's just coming from marketing. You can recognize it as what it is. It's just dishonest marketing. And, um, well, one of the things again, like politics, there's dishonesty is rampant in politics. One of the things we talked about, and I won't belabor that point, but we were talking about Kasich and, and that is my great fear is that people, he sees this moderate space opening up and is going to take advantage of, you know, so when you say trolls or people like that, I kind of think of that too. Because I think, oh, my God, if you were if you lived in Ohio eight years, there's no way you would consider this guy com- remotely a moderate. Uh, but yeah, he's he's I, going on the news site, you know, on CNN and talking just like a moderate. And it's scary. So I think a lot of politicians are trying to take advantage of that and say, you know, look at me. I'm the grown up here. I'm in the center. And so I, when when you brought up pragmatism earlier. Um, and again, I don't live in Ohio, so some of the stuff that you brought up to me was eye-opening about Kasich. But what I did know, what I do know, is that you know I've looked back at snapshots of his old website. I've looked at um, some of the positions that he's taken. You can go on that website ontheissues.org and look up his stated positions. Mm-hmm. He's a conservative. He's right. just not a right-wing flaming hater conservative. Right. And. So I think that, you know, if he ever got past a primary in a Republican primary um, nationally, then people would figure that out. But right now, because people just I mean, there's no reason for me to pay attention or really anybody else. And I pay way more attention than 99 percent of people. And I didn't even know some of the things that you said, um, because there's no point in me researching them to that degree. Um, So it's almost immaterial, though, because. Outside of Ohio, and he, he's never going to win the Republican nomination. Let's be honest. He's really never going to. So really, he is he's either just going to be a thorn in Trump's side, which I think for sure he's going to try to be. It looks like he's probably going to run against Trump in the um, 2020, but not to win, just to you know hurt Trump, which I'm fine with. I think that would be great. <laughs> um, he's term that, limiting, so. So he has oh, nothing he, else okay, to so, do. I mean, yeah. he doesn't have anything he had better to do. Right. <laughs> but the uh, that's not true. There is better things he could do. Maybe he'd run for Senate or something. But the um, you know the the other thing that might happen with the GOP side is, um, and I, I had a conversation about this. Um, I think it was yesterday or today about how Romney might run, and if he's really smart, he could pick up like Nikki Haley, and. Uh, that would be a ticket that I think would be a serious threat to Trump, assuming Trump is still in office by 2020. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Pence is a whole other problem. I, I like I don't I'm not sure that Pence could lose um, the nomination unless he screws up seriously. Um, but I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. I, I really do think it'll be interesting because Romney's essentially a shoe in in Utah. I lived in Utah. He is worshipped in Utah. It's really just like Joseph Smith. Um, Brigham Young, whoever the president of the Mormon church is at the time. And Mitt Romney. Possibly a quarterback of BYU. Depending. <laughs> and, and then Mitt Romney. He, I, I was there during the Olympics when he, he 
it's not exaggerating. He totally saved the Olympics. Um, and he is just worshipped there. So, if, I mean, he's a shoe-in. And he is going to be – it's going to be interesting to see him run, like, basically use this, his, his uh, slot as a senator to just, like, tear into Trump all the time. Right. I think that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, that's always – anytime somebody's tearing into him, it's kind of fun to watch. Well, in particular, we there's so many people that just vomit at Trump, right? And a lot of it is pointless. It's just venting. Uh, it doesn't really accomplish anything. We've already heard it all before. Romney's different, though. He doesn't. I mean, he's not much of a like a flamer or a, vo- a vomiter. <laughs> he's he's substantive. Even I would never vote for him, but um, like he he he's like a substantive never Trump. Like he's gonna go after Trump all the time, but he's gonna do it in a substantive way, kind of like Ben Sass. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the other thing. Like if. if if Romney was smart, he could maybe pull Ben Sass as his VP, or at least out of the campaign somehow. Um, I think Nikki Haley has just a more of a national profile, so I think she'd be better. Um, but don't yeah, it's ask interesting me. Here. I have a different answer to that. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I want to hear yours. Oh I, no, I love Ben Sass. That's why I was saying that. <laughs> I was just. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. I. I was. Did you did you end up watching that video that I told you to watch? Um, I did not. Okay, no. so but I'm, I will. I'm going to. I just haven't yet. I'm going to give homework to everybody listening to this right now. <laughs> uh, regardless of where you stand on the spectrum, just set aside your you know personal views of Ben Sass, who is very conservative. Yes, the um, third most and, conservative senator. Oh yeah, like behind I think was it Inhofe and Cruz. <laughs> um. <laughs> Who were like super flaming, you know, vomiters. <laughs> um, but Ben Sass, his um I his talked first... to Senator Enhoff. I just thought I would bring that up. I used to live in Oklahoma oh, and yeah, I could have a, he was I in my mock trial he came and talked to us before he was who he is now and yeah, he sat down and had the conversation with Senator Enhoff. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> just <laughs> a random little thing. That a little background, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um but Ben Sass, he's he's the closest thing to, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He's very aw shucks. I'm from Nebraska. He's got that Western Nebraska aw shucks thing going on. He does. He's even got like the he's got a little bit of the buck teeth going on, just just a little bit. It's um, not too bad. It's, it's it's not too bad. It's acceptable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's a clearly a nerd. He looks like a nerd, and I'm down with that because I'm a nerd. But, um, you know, again, he's like way too far to the right for me to even consider voting for him. But he seems like a decent guy. He's just views are wrong. Well, again, and, it, it kind of goes to personality. Sometimes personality right. can can win so much. You know, I think that he has won some people over with personality that maybe didn't I totally agree with agree. his policy. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah, I know some some moderates, um, mostly right leaners. I don't know if any like hardcore centrists who would vote for him, but mm-hmm. um, that that are aware of his views. But his first speech in the Senate floor um, was amazing. Like it, it was philosophical. It was hist- it had historical context. Um, it talked about how just an f- ineffectiveness of um, you know, and this is this is like you cannot unless you're completely stupidly illogically partisan. You cannot pretend that this guy isn't a conservative down to his very like telomeres and his DNA. Um, but 
he's talking about how it's just stupid about how people don't converse in the Senate. It's supposed to be the oh, what's that thing that they used to say about the Senate that's totally not true anymore? Um, the world's know. most deliberative body or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. it's not. Not anymore. It's just garbage now. And he this is someone who, even though he's very steeped in his ideology and is is a Republican through and through, he is not, you know, he, he believes that there should be a culture of trying to problem solve, be more pragmatic. And he's a pretty good I think he's a good example of someone who balances very strong ideology with some level of pragmatism um, and sort of proves the point. I, you know, I, as far as the, that goes, I was at this event a while back. Um, I think you'll actually like the story because it, it's kind of illustrative and also has a kind of an interesting twist at the end. But I went to this event where I met Greg Orman, uh, who's an independent running for um, uh, governor in Kansas, who's got a real shot. He's got a serious campaign and um, a few other people. Um, Craig O'Dare, who's running for Senate against um, Claire McCaskill and is going to lose. <laughs> um, but, um, and, um, oh, geez, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, uh, several other people. Um, but at the end of the event, I met this guy, kind of a hipster, like not kind of a hipster, like he looks like a hipster, a stereotypical hipster. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was talking about how this app and they were going to go to an after party and uh, talk about this app. It was a direct democracy app, which made my ears perk up because um, it's a you know a nerdy computer thing mixed with <laughs> um, political philosophy. So I'm like, I'm in. Where do, where do I go? So I, mm-hmm. I hop in the back seat of this car with complete strangers, and we go off to this this house in the middle of suburbs, and I hear this pitch about this uh, direct democracy app called Proxy Vote. I would look it up online. It's very interesting. Sign up for emails so when uh, it launches, you'll get it and you can have fun with it. Um, but turns out at the end of it that like we're leaving this event. I've been hanging out with this guy all night and these people are like almost all of them are very far left. Um, probably I'd say 85% of them were straight progressives. Um, but there was maybe three or four out of the 40 people there that were your stereotypical progressives where you know, that we see in the media where if you're a progressive you have to basically hate everybody else um that isn't a progressive mm-hmm. and it's just these stereotypes they are true if you pay only attention to the noisy people on social media and in, in the media but when you go out into the regular peopleville and talk to just like a random progressive that you might meet on the street they're like well yeah i mean i support bernie sanders but i don't think you know hillary clinton is evil <laughs> you know, right, yeah. uh, or I do think that Donald Trump is evil, but I don't think that, you know, c- centrist. I my dad's a centrist and he's a normal person. Um, you know, that's what most progressives think. And um, these stereotypes that we have of, you know, I'm a believer. So I have to think that everybody that you know disagrees with me is evil is true with the most active people, but is not true in the general populace. And there's this underlying transpartisan sort of agreement of, if not civility, then just decency. And that decency quotient drops precipitously just as the amount of power that a person has in politics. And that's really the biggest reason why I quit politics um, after the 2012 election. I could not handle these despicable people I had to spend so much time with being involved in politics. 
um, I had to find this sort of healthy balance of being involved and having sort of a in le in the legal world they call it a Chinese wall between that and my personal life to stay sane. And but uh, that twist at the end, we were leaving, and and I asked like one of the per one of the people in the car as we were waiting for that hipster guy to come out, mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, so what's what's the deal here? Like why why did these like forty random people show up? to hear about this app and he's like you didn't know <laughs> that was the only person there out of like 40 50 people that had no clue that the guy that was making the pitch for the app was a famous musician oh my goodness oh no kidding not only that a famous musician who was on several of my playlists who, who <laughs> that was I to all the time who was uh, it edward edward sharp and the magnetic zeros oh, oh yeah. my goodness i listen i listen to that regularly it's on my my uh my go-to playlist, um, the one you know that song with the whistling—I forget what it's called. I'm bad with uh, song titles, but um, he's a really nice guy, and he, the proxy vote thing is really interesting. I would look into it for everybody that's hearing this. <laughs> that is that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> I know, right? That's <laughs> you're just like, oh wow, super nice guy. Super nice guy. <laughs> I had no freaking clue. And he did he did like he didn't seem like a famous person. Like that's a another stereotype that we're breaking. He seemed just like a normal dude. Mm -hmm. Like I'm used to hanging out with startup people, right? Mm -hmm. Cuz I'm I'm in the tech stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I go to a lot of tech events and he just seemed like a a tech guy that was more of the like the you know the CEO, the guy with, that could make a good pitch than the than the guy that was doing the programming. So mm -hmm. I've met tons of people like that. Um, and you know, in the tech world, like being a little hipsterish is not abnormal. Oh, right. I mean, I've, I'm beardy and I've got shaggy hair a little bit that I'm probably going to have to cut because I'm going to start making videos soon. <laughs> but like, it's, he's totally normal, but you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm oblivious. <laughs> what is the last thing you would want people to know? The, the, the parting words that you have for them that you want that you want people to know from this, from this interview? What do you want them to take away from it? I'm going to go really meta. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not going to make the pitch for United.org. If you like what I'm talking about, if you're a centrist, then, then check it out. Sure. But take a step back and no matter where you are on this, on the political spectrum, it doesn't matter. You know, far left, far right fringe, um, you know, completely bizarre and, you know, you don't even fit on the political spectrum, wherever that is. It doesn't matter. Believe in aliens. Um, <laughs> Reptilian <laughs> people. Know. Yeah, there, there's, there's a guy named Mort in Omaha, Nebraska that um, runs for office every year. He is convinced that aliens are taking over. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, just take a step back and do this one thing. And it's... I, I call it the Tapper rule, and I just I just reshared it today, and that was actually the thing that Howard Dean um, somehow saw and and retweeted. Um, I call it the Tapper rule. It's uh, well, you know what? I'm gonna make sure I get this right. I call it the Tapper rule because it was a quote from Jake Tapper, um, just a few months ago. It was in January, and the quote goes. If you only apply principles to your political opponents and not yourself or your allies, then they're not principles. They're the lack thereof. That's I mean, just take that, absorb it, like right. chew on it, read it again. 
you know, put it on your wall if you have to. Marinate um, in it. By far, if I would trade the success of centrist politics for the success of that principle mm-hmm. um, in a heartbeat because that is really underlies every problem. Just not literally every problem, but the vast majority of problems. And it, it touches on every problem in our politics. Um, you know, we would not have the Democratic and Republican parties would not be half as bad as they are now if 20 percent of the left and the right started actually, you know, using the same principles to go after the, the corrupt and dishonest people in their own house mm-hmm. as they did corrupt and dishonest people in other houses. And if you if you did that and. Because pretty much everybody, you know, like everybody thinks they're under attack and they're right. Everybody is under attack, but everybody is also attacking everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like a self, you know, um, a negative feedback loop. Right. And uh, or positive feedback loop, I guess. Well, that's kind but of one I, of the things we did is when we were doing this was say, you know, I being you know, primarily a Democrat. Right. I was not going to be attacking the Republican Party. Right. Because right. I have problems in my own house. Right. That's, that's right. what we, I have enough problems in my own commit, house. Commit and, uh, to is we focus on our own stuff and then, yep. yeah, definitely. I've, sure. caught, I've caught a lot of flack for going after. There's a, there's a handful of, you know, not transparent, semi-corrupt, you know, dishonest centrists out there. And I've caught a lot of, I've lost probably two, 300 followers over the last year um, from calling them out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, yeah, you wouldn't. Not, you wouldn't push. You have to. You would not plug United Uniters. I'm sorry, Uniters.org. But <laughs> I, I will because if you go to that site, it will lead you into a just a morass of information. I mean, yes. I, I went to it. I've been on it five or six times, and right, you go down these rabbit holes, and you go from one blog or to another article and to another thing. So it's. It's a, well, it's, I mean, there, a, it's a great is, site to – I think we're up to about 730 pages. Includes, <laughs> yeah. I think that, that includes blog posts. Yeah, you um, will learn a lot. on and off. I've been blogging on and off since, you know – well, the blogs on there started in December or uh, July of 2010. But I've been blogging since the – oh, geez, the late 90s. <laughs> For a really long time. But yeah, I haven't hit the end of it yet, but, I, but I'll, I'll get there one day. But we, 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 You'd be the first. I don't think I've read all of them. <laughs> we would definitely encourage everybody who's listening to to check out Solomon's work um, at uniters.org. And we really appreciate everyone who's taken the time to listen. And as usual, we want to thank all of our moderators that help us keep our Facebook group the way it needs to be. Keeps everybody civil and getting along. We really appreciate you guys. And anybody who wants to find us um, on Facebook, come join us. Come join our conversation at Rancid Reason Podcast Group on Facebook. And it's a you, really good group. Yeah, we like it. I'll invite some people to it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Rance Reason. And our website, which is not as impressive as Solomon's, is... I can help you with that. <laughs> ...is rancidreason.org. And so your Twitter, you- Solomon... Your Twitter account. Well, I have two main ones. I have a bunch of little ones too, but the the main one is Uniters Centrist. So at Uniters Centrist, no 
space or dot or underscore or anything. Okay. We'll throw um, that up on the Facebook page and on, on ours. Yeah. The other one is – the other one's more focused on centrist party news and centrist candidate running for office news. Um, and that's N underscore centrist party. Okay. N centrist party. Okay. Great. Well, we really appreciate it. We always end with uh, Republican and Democrat who are friends. And I didn't have a chance to really go into a lot of stories this week. So I'm going to go with one that's a little bit um, well known. And that is the friendship between Ivanka Trump and Chelsea Clinton being raised around the same people. They were friends for a long time. It wasn't really publicized a whole lot, but they uh, spent a lot of time together at a gala in 2014 where they took a bunch of selfies together and hashtag everything together and really kind of uh, came out as what good friends they really are. So if they can do it. We can too. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Solomon, for being here. Really appreciate it, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks. Bye.